Welcome to the Scottish Paranormal Podcast. I'm your host Chris and here we'll be delved into the multitude of strange occurrences that happened in Scotland and beyond. You can contact us with your own accounts at the Scottish Paranormal Podcast at gmail.com. You can find us on all social media channels and you can contact us by either means. Tonight's episode we have Colin Saunders on the show. Colin's an author of Triangular UFOs in the United Kingdom and he has his own account as well. Um, which we'll get right into it now, and welcome Colin into the show. Right, so just like to welcome Colin Saunders into the show. Um, as I said in the, the intro there, Colin's uh, an author of a new book, basically, Triangular UFOs in the United Kingdom, and he's had his own experience as well, so we'll just like to get right into it now and welcome Colin into the show. How are you doing, Colin? I'm good, thank you, Chris. How are you? I'm good, thanks. I'm good. Thanks, I- thanks for inviting me onto your show. Thanks for coming on. Um, good getting you, and uh, finally, can kind of you got there? I just tried to get you in before I went away on holiday, so that was good. <laughs> yes, yeah. Um, how's the weather down your neck of the woods? Yeah, it's pretty good. It's been a bit hectic of late. <clears throat> Quite a lot of uh, podcasts. There's been a lot of interest in the book, uh, so a lot of people be getting in touch. Um, although you, you class me as an author, I'm, I don't class myself as an author. I've written a book, I know, but. I'm still doing my nine to five job, so life's still pretty hectic at the moment, <laughs> but enjoyable. Are you still are you still a draftsman? I am, yes. I'm uh, in the embroidery industry now, so I'm doing what they call it embroidery origination. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so I'm still drawing, I'm still drafting, but drafting um, to make stitches, basically, to put into embroidery machines. All right, so okay. like CAD, CAD CAM work. But basically, oh, yeah, I've been a draftsman all of my life, you know, since I left school at the age of 16. So I'm still yeah. drawing today. I think I've been very lucky, actually, to uh, spend my whole life drawing. It's been a great way of making a living. Let's say, uh, uh, so yeah, I take it you'll, you'll be quite busy then. So do, busy doing the work, doing the podcasts, um, finishing the book. And then obviously, I take it you'll have still people coming towards you and bringing accounts to you as well. Yes, every day people are getting in touch now. You know, as the book gets out there, more and more people are getting in touch with their own accounts. Um, I think sometimes people just like to have a chat, you know, because it's nice to speak to somebody else who's had an experience. So it's making feel people feel a bit more comfortable, I think, about their own experience. But, yeah, yeah, quite a few people have been getting in touch of late. So, uh, yeah, it's very interesting, actually. I think that's the key. I think when people know that you've maybe had an experience, um or privy to some type of experience, they're, they're more easy to open up to you and relay their own experiences. That's right, that's right. Um, especially as I've written the book, um, it's been 24 years since the encounter. Mm-hmm. And really for about 20 years, I just talked about the nuts and bolts of the encounter. Yeah. But there was a little bit of um, high strangeness as well on the night and some, what I guess you would class as paranormal uh, happenings and paranormal happenings have happened since the encounter nothing before mm-hmm. but we can uh, talk about that as, as we go along but I've been encouraged by the amount of people who've been writing into me with their own accounts of close encounters but also their accounts with uh, ghosts and things like this in the past yeah. so what we're starting to find now and I think some of the top researchers are finding this as well there is a link between UFOs and the paranormal um and I believe that they're dimensional rather than extraterrestrial. It's it's uh it's amazing where you said there you can focus the start on the nuts and bolts here, and then we can be thinking about the experiences and it's what we can get in it. It's it's funny how quite a lot of people um try and they can maybe go to the point if they had a, a sighting or um, an experience like that. But then when it starts to get to the, the paranormal aspect of it, sometimes it just goes out your mind or sometimes you don't want to talk about it or sometimes you just think, I'm not going to talk about that section of it. And then um, you talk about maybe the nuts and bolts of it or the sight in it, but tend to... Uh, I'm speaking for experience as well. I mean, there's some experiences as well in the past where um, some things I've never spoke about until maybe recently because it's just kind of... I don't know if it was too out there or you kind of thought it was too out there or one place you just wouldn't go. Um, so it's good that you can talk about that as well. Definitely. I mean, I, I would say that's all linked. I mean, it's, it's funny when you're looking at now between UFO, UFO reports, experiences, 
um, life after death, paranormal, everything just seems to be really, really linked in together. Um, it and, does, and, it's yes. hard to, and it's hard to separate it. You know what I mean? It's, it's really, really hard to separate it. So if you, prior to your experience, which we'll get into in a wee minute, um, did you have any incline about the paranormal or UFO um, or any interest in it before your experience in 1999? No, no, no interest at all. Just a passing interest. But I've got no specific interest in UFOs, paranormals, ghosts or anything along those lines. Um, I remember as a teenager, we went to see Star Wars at the pictures like everybody else did. But that was about the limit of my um, extraterrestrial um, foraging into the paranormal. Uh, I did go and see um, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. That was a good film. I enjoyed that. Mm. But <clears throat> no, there was no specific UFO um, interest before the sighting. So we'll get to the sighting. But pro just prior to that, I just want to say that... Um, my whole life has been spent as a draftsman, mm -hmm. as draw, drawing. It's, all I've ever done is draw. Now, my discipline is electrical, electromechanical draftsman. Mm -hmm. And during the course of my career, I have worked on uh, the Airbus, for instance, in Germany. I spent a year in Hamburg working on the A300 and the A310. Um, I also spent two years in Sweden working for Saab Aerospace, where I worked on a civilian aircraft. I spent a year working in the cockpit and a year working on the engines and, and the wings. All with the electrical electrical drafting. Um, I also spent uh, 18 months in New Zealand working in re refrigeration. And I also spent a year working for Chevron Petroleum in Aberdeen, mm -hmm. where I was based on shore, but I did have a few offshore trips to the platform, to the central platform, Ninian Central. And I always mention this because <clears throat> when you go offshore <clears throat> and you do your drawings and you look at the installations, you've got to get it right. It's drilled into you. Because it, you know, you got to take a flight to the Shetlands and you got to take a helicopter out to the platform. You have to have your accommodation booked, everything like this. It's not an easy journey to make. Mm -hmm. but you've got to make sure everything is correct. And once you get back to the drawing office, you draw it all up, but it's all still fresh in your mind. Yeah. So that was um, invaluable uh, training, if you like, for the night of the UFO to make as much detail as good or re record as much detail as I could in my mind. And then as soon as I got home, was to start drawing it again. Mm -hmm. um, I also, um, in 1992, it was a while ago, but I was AutoCAD user of the year. So I've had a lot of drafting experience, a lot of AutoCAD experience and computer-aided design experience in general. So I think, as well as the aircraft industry, um, yeah. I think that makes me a good witness to what, what we saw that night. So um, if you're okay with that, we'll go straight to the sighting, I think. Yeah, just adding what you said there. I mean, I think obviously we working in the avionics industry. I mean, you understand how planes fly. I mean, as well. That's right. And, yeah. and then obviously, we you're if you're flying off in the super pumas or whatever to get to the Shetlands or to get to some of the oil platforms, you know, you know a lot of things about avionics and, and that as well. And having that um, linkage to actually get it in in paper and, and record it as well. You know what I mean? It's uh, it's invaluable. That's right. That's right. That's why I knew as soon as we saw the craft that night that uh, it was not one of ours. You could tell straight away just everything about it. Yeah. So to go to that night, it was the uh, 31st of March, 1999. That was my mother-in-law's birthday that day. She was 72 years old and we were going out for a bar meal. Now, there were two vehicles. There was My wife was driving our car and we went and picked up my mother-in-law and we got my daughter as well and myself. So the four of us in my wife's car and my brother-in-law lived next door to my mother-in-law he brought the house next door and he was coming along with his french uh, contingency he got a french partner and her two um french grandparents were over for the for the week so we all went out in two vehicles for a bar meal to celebrate maggie's birthday so we went to a pub called the white line in a village called paleton which is in warwickshire in the, in the middle of nowhere basically and the nearest next village would be Monks Kirby. Mm -hmm. So this is remote countryside, and we travel there down the Foss Way. The Foss Way has got no lights on it. It's totally unlit, and it's totally countryside. So once we'd had the meal and we come to leave, we got into the car with my wife driving. My mother-in-law was sitting in the front next to her. I was behind the mother-in-law on the near side, and my daughter next to me. As we pulled off, I remember looking out the window, the rear, rear view window, and seeing... My brother-in-law helping the old French lady into the Range Rover. 
So I thought, well, they'll catch us up. They won't be far behind us. Yeah. And off we set ahead of them through the country lanes. So from Paleton, we we drove through the lanes and came up to the Foss Way. Now, somebody said in the car, we're turning onto the Foss now. And my daughter said, jokingly, oh, there's been talk of headless horsemen down here. We all laughed. Oh, we'll keep our eyes open for him. And then as soon as we turned the corner, well, came to the junction and turned on, turned right onto the Foss Way, there were some red lights hovering by the side of the road, exactly half a mile away from where we were, from where we turned onto the Foss. So we all started saying, what on earth is that? They're so bright and so low. It's too low for an airplane, too many lights for a helicopter. And there's never any lights up and down the Foss Way. It's just total darkness. So we drove up towards the lights, still talking about them, and we drove up and more or less drove underneath them. We stopped next to the lights. Now, I would say the lights were 100 feet away. Now, pretty good with dimensions, and I always use this analogy. I've, I've uh, steered my friend's narrowboat around the canals. It's a 70-foot-long narrowboat. Mm -hmm. So when I say this craft was 100 feet away, I mean 100 feet. I could hit it with a cricket ball. It was so close. Now, the thing was, there was no craft. It was just lights. We stopped the car and we stared at the lights. There was four big red lights in a row at the back, which were tilted like at a 30 degree angle to the earth. They weren't straight with the earth, weren't parallel. Mm -hmm. And I would say that the lights were probably only 50 feet off the ground, but also mingled in with these four big red lights at the back was a small red light off to one side and a bit of white light mingled in as well. And it was just like incredible to look at. So I stared at one of the lights, the fourth one, the highest one up on the left-hand side. Uh, yeah, the left-hand side as I was looking at the rear. And it got like a crisscross effect on the light. Mm -hmm. But I don't think it was um, from manufacture. I think it was from the light that was being emitted. It was given a pattern, like a grid pattern inside the light. And I was staring at that, being quite uh, amazed at what I was looking at. When I then noticed that the actual sky around these lights was starting to, to ripple. I thought, my God, there's something there. Soon as I thought that, it decloaked. It was just like Star Trek, you know, when the Klingon ship just yeah. decloaks. This craft just decloaked in front of our eyes. It, it was incredible to see. Amazing. And uh, as it decloaked, I noticed because I was looking towards the red light on the left hand side, <clears throat> I noticed a fluffy white cloud appear on the wingtip as the craft materialized. As soon as it had materialized, it then floated up. Now, the craft was that low that if it had tilted from the middle, it would have struck the ground. So mm. the rear end of the craft stayed where it was and the nose came up. Oh. But it floated like a submarine underwater. It was the most peculiar movement you've ever seen. It just floated up in front of us like a horse rearing up, like a stallion rearing up on us. Mm. But like an airship or, like I say, <clears throat> like, I say like a submarine underwater. Um, now, it was totally silent. And also, because of the way the craft was, the way it reared up, we were looking at the top surface. Most people get to see the underneath the triangles when they're flying yeah, overhead. Yeah. Not many people actually get to see the top surface. Now, we were looking at the top surface of the craft. And the craft, it looked to be alive. It looked organic. It was incredible. I, even though it was clearly manufactured, because on the surface, it looked like um, a lake of liquid mercury was running up and down the surface. And on top of this lake of liquid, there were these beams that were interlocking. I can quickly show you here on, on the final model that we produced. Um, you can see on this, you can see like a fluid surface, yeah, grey surface, and then the interlocking lines on the top. It was just in incredible to see. And as it rose up, I remember thinking, my God, aliens exist. Uh, abductions must take place. And this explains mysteries from history. All, all those three uh, thoughts came to me straight away and it was just like incredible it, it wasn't frightening it was quite the opposite it was like I almost felt like a love and affection for it it was just beautiful mm -hmm. and it just meant so much everything I'd learned had suddenly gone out to the window now my wife who was driving decided because she's a sensible person to put the hazard flashes on pull forward and reverse into a gateway which was more or less underneath where the craft was hovering but as you pull forward, the hedge blocked the view. And I thought, oh, no, if it's going to go, it's going to go now. Sure enough, she reversed into the gateway. We jumped out and it had gone. There was no smell of any aviation fuel, nothing like that at all. There was no traffic, no airplanes. It was 
deadly silent. You could hear a pin drop. But in the distance going away was this massive craft. And it got four red lights on the back of it. Again, just like the small one we'd just been looking at. So was this a different craft? Uh, yes. Now, at the time, because I didn't know anything about UFOs, I wrote a report and I said I thought the small one had morphed into a larger one because the whole scene was so surreal. But once I started doing a bit of research, I realised that the large one going away was what the term a mothership, one of these football pitch-sized craft. So there's a possibility that the small one went back to the larger one, but we didn't see it take place. It must have been really quick, because it, as soon as we, we lost view of it by pulling forward, it, it just vanished, just went. So we got back in the car and uh, checked the time. It was 9.50 and set off home. So when we got home, well, when we took Madge back to her house, my brother-in-law was there, the Range Rover was there, it was parked up, and they were all out, they were inside the house having a cup of tea. Now that, that was really odd, that struck us as being really strange because they should have seen us. If they didn't see us, they should have seen the crap, but they seen nothing. It just, mm -hmm. it was quite weird to see the car was back before us. So we could only assume that we- They did the mention how long the did, did they mention how long they were in the house for? Sorry to interrupt you. Um, no, no, and that was a peculiar thing, really. I should have got out and made some inquiries, but I sat in the back of the car just feeling blown away and just feeling quite chilled out, and I didn't want to get out of the car. I just sort of sat in the back in a strange sort of chilled-out mood. And yeah, thinking back on it, that was an odd thing to do. I should have got out and um, chatted to them. But there might be another reason for that, which I'll come back to later. So what happened then was um, I decided to start making some models. Well, initially do the drawings. As soon as we got home, I did some drawings and my daughter did some drawings. Um, my wife only saw the light. She never saw the craft materialise. <clears throat> and um, my mother-in-law described it as a, a triangle with these um, gird beams, girders, she called them, girders on the surface. I call them beams. She called them girders. So... I started sketching it. Um, I phoned up the UFO magazine, told them what I'd seen. They put me in touch with a guy called Omar Fowler. Uh, I had a conversation with him. He sent some information through. Now, we only ever saw the rear and the top of the craft. I'll switch this on, actually, so you can get a better idea of what I'm talking about. This is the final model that we made. Um, so when the craft was mater materialised, the yeah. lights were at an angle like this, and it floated up in front of us so we only ah, saw the rear and the top now omar sent me some a magazine through with some drawings of a um triangle that had been seen in belgium in the 1990s yeah thrown over a young guy's head and he drew this the underneath with these beams that were like going through 90 degrees and interlocking with each other yeah so yeah, i figured yeah. they must be the same must be the same craft that we've seen or yeah. similar series of craft that we'd seen so using the Belgium sighting and then my own sighting of the top and the rear, I first drew the craft and then started making models. I first made some paper models. Um, and then I decided to make a wooden model. I did The first one I did with some doweling and I, I printed some drawings off that I did in cold draw and put them onto the framework and it looked pretty good. But at that time I, I was working from home. I'd started... Um, doing embroidery design but i was also doing a little bit of um selling of polo shirts as well so we, i bought myself a van for carrying goods around in so one night um the van was broken into and the because the old cassette player was stolen from it and um i took the van to be repaired to my friends and um he said it had been professionally broken into and he couldn't understand why somebody would break into a van like that just to steal an old cassette player that was hardly working it just didn't make sense to him mm -hmm. What happened then was I come to look for my model. Now I know it was in the van the last time I seen it, and it had gone. Whoever stole the cassette player also stole the model as well. It's bad. Whether they were coming just for the model or not, I, I don't know. But they certainly took the model. I don't see why anybody would want to take the model if they didn't realise what it was, because it was just a triangular-shaped model. Mm -hmm. So what happened then was I decided to build a Mark II version. Um, I've got that one here. It's still working after all this time. But this time I decided to put some flashing lights in, some LEDs uh, and the battery pack and a switch to switch it on and off, put some LEDs underneath as well. So this is my first um, sort of model that made me shake every time I picked it up. 
I used to keep it in, in a briefcase, and every time I took it out, it made me shake with excitement. It was mad. I mean, armed with this model, I managed to get onto TV and talk to 3 million people live, which was quite exciting. It was a great model, but I couldn't get the liquid surface and I couldn't get the beans raised off. It was then just flat. So what happened then um, along the way, a friend of mine called John Mills, he bought himself a 3D printer and he said he wanted to print my UFO. That's great news. So together, like we talked about it and I showed him some drawings that uh, a friend had done for me in, uh, in Canada, some fantastic computer generated images. And John then produced the first model, which is this little A5 size craft uh, with lights in it. And it's got the beams raised up off the surface. Yeah. I don't know if you can quite see that on there. Um, yes. Yeah, yeah. That's it there. Which was great. Um, it wasn't 100% because the colours are not quite right. And then got the liquid surface, but it was fantastic. And... I came up with the idea, I said to John, like, you know, because he spent a lot of time making this model. I said, if we start, if I sell some for you on eBay and sell enough, will you make me a large model with um, the right colours? And, and he agreed. He said, yes, he would do that. So we started selling the triangles. Now, he also took a fancy to a, a flying saucer, which I've got on in the background there. And we've also got um, a cylinder, a cigar-shaped UFO with lights. So we sold some of those, and eventually I sold enough I didn't make any money of it at all. I gave it all to John. And then John made this final model. So this, this is the final model that we were looking at earlier. This is more of an A4 size craft. Yeah. But on this one, it cost us quite a lot of money to get the um, the liquid surface. Yeah, that, that's uh, what intrigued me. So when, when you noticed that the the liquid surface on it, could you see it kind of shimmering or moving? Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. I always describe it as being like... Um, a lake at night with a breeze on it with small waves and the yep. moonlight's catching the waves. So it's just catching bits and bobs of them and you can see it all shimmering. That's how the surface looked. That's why I think it looked organic, it looked like it was alive. Ah, right, okay. And it almost looked like the liquid was going up and down, like it, like it was moving down, but in a continuous like, circle. It wasn't um, running dry at the top. Yep. The waves were just coming down all the time. But the interesting thing was these silver beams they were solid. So it wasn't a heat effect and it wasn't an electromechanical effect. Yeah. It was a definite liquid and it was definitely beams that were on top of the surface of the craft. I, I have an idea what it might, what, what it might be about the construction. We'll perhaps touch on that later, but making the craft, the craft was fantastic. And I decided once we got the big craft, I'd go out and uh, do another presentation. It's been a while since I've been to any UFO conferences. So I ended up going to the uh, Outer Limit magazine conference in Hull, where I met um, the Kinsella twins, Ronnie and Philip. Um, I did my presentation and they were quite taken with it. And they, Philip suggested to me that I write a book. Well, I'd had the idea about writing a book, but I put it on the back burner. I didn't really want to do it until I retired because I knew it would take some time. Yeah. But after, after Ronnie had suggested I write a book, I got it stuck in my mind. I thought, yeah, I'm going to write a book. And I come back and I started it pretty much that weekend when I came back. Because over the years, um, I've collected a lot of information from people, a lot of sightings. But my interest has always been triangular UFOs. Mm -hmm. I mean, worldwide triangular, not just the UK. Obviously, I'm interested in all sorts of uh, UFOs, but my primary, primarily uh, interested in the triangular UFOs because that's what we saw on, on that night. So that's how the book came about. I wanted to talk about, to write about my own experience, which I did, mm -hmm. but there obviously wasn't enough words in there for a complete book. So I started putting in other people's um, sightings and then started asking people on the on social media if they had any sightings lately. And the response was fantastic. So that's how the book came, came around. So what we've talked about there so far is the nuts and bolts of the yeah. sighting. That's what I, I talked about for the first 20 years. I didn't want to talk about the strange stuff because it would just make you seem even more weird. I mean, it's strange enough having yeah. a close encounter with a UFO without starting to talk about odd things that might have took place. It's, it's hard enough to try and um, talk about the nuts and bolts as it is. Um, it's getting better these days, but I can, back in the day, um, even then as well, I mean, try to talk about nuts and bolts stuff I mean, is generally hard enough. And then you... you 
you add on the woo to that, as people say, the woo, I don't like that word, but I'm just adding that in right. because it's so that's that's I understand where you're coming from. I mean, so sorry if you got to go on. So, so what happened then? <clears throat> if we go back to the night to the 31st of March 1999, <clears throat> at 9.50 pm precisely, this is what happened as the craft materialized, as the craft floated up in the air like this, all of a sudden it was like somebody had put a pair of binoculars in front of my eyes like that because I could see the cloak the craft close up right close up right near. I could see these interlocking lines on the surface mm-hmm. so they were six feet away then the next view was the nose the big round nose like that I couldn't see the beams anymore but I could see the nose then the next view was the side view showing the central white core and the top and the bottom of the craft rolling over like a hovercraft skin onto the central white core but where it joined here there was no nuts and bolts, no rivets, <clears throat> no welding, no seams. I mean, it was just incredible how it had been manufactured. And then I remember thinking, let's get out of the car. You know, me and my mother-in-law wanted to get on board. We were so excited. Mm. And that's when my wife pulled forward and blocked the view. So the next day we're talking about this. I'm saying, you know, this, this had some close viewing when this craft materialised. And I think I've had an out-of-body experience. That's all I could put it down to. So... I decided that's what it was. I got some books out of the library to to try and find more about antibody experiences as well as researching UFOs. It was all very strange. But the strangest thing was we were starting to have some weird experiences. So the very next day, for instance, the television went wrong and the a DVD recorder stopped working, a video recorder. Um, an electric clock on the cooker started working that had never worked. And the hard drive on a computer went down quite a few electrical problems on the next day um but then it started to get even weirder i was starting to see other lights in the sky but i was looking for them obviously i did go on a astronomy course so i could identify satellites and the like and so i got a better idea of what i was looking at but i was starting to see all sorts of strange things and then i was starting to have other what we would call paranormal experiences and um I'll tell you about one of the most frightening ones. This is the only time I've ever been frightened during the course of all of this. Mm. I mean, I love fishing. So I'm down the river fishing. I'm actually standing in the water. And the river saw it, Rothley in Leicestershire. Fishing on a a club match, actually. There was only about 10 of us fishing. And I was in a field on my own, fishing away. And I heard these footsteps coming across the field. I thought, that's farm workers coming down shooting. So I'm going to climb up the bank make myself known because uh, I don't want them shooting in my direction. <laughs> so I climbed up there and these, the noise continued, these four footsteps, but there was nobody there. Whatever it was, was totally invisible and it was getting closer and closer and louder. And I thought, it's a big cat and it's, gonna, it's coming for me. Like, So I, I took a spike from my umbrella, a metal pole with a point on the end. And I decided what I would do if it was a cat was to go back down the riverbank and get it to jump on me and impale it on its own weight. That was my game plan. It went through my mind really quick what, what, what options I'd got. But whatever it was, walked in front of me from left to right, and it was just totally invisible, and it started fading away. So then I started shouting at it and clapping my hands. That nothing came out, and it, then it just went. It just faded away. And I stood there, and I thought, that wasn't a big cat. That was... um some sort of paranormal activity that was something in another dimension that's not here with us here and now or from another time or something yeah and that was the day chris that point then was when i decided that the ufo had to be interdimensional rather than extraterrestrial because prior to the ufo encounter i'd had nothing no experiences whatsoever Mm -hmm. but now after the ufo i was starting to have all sorts of experiences so many that I wrote them down and put the dates and the description of what happened. I put them all in the book in date order. There's, you know, like a dozen strange things. There's, there's been a lot more, but the main ones I put put into the book. So I'm pretty convinced that the the triangle was interdimensional because mm-hmm. of the residue that it left on me. Now, <clears throat> the strange thing was it wasn't happening to the other people in the car. It wasn't happening to my mother-in-law, my wife or my daughter. This was only happening to me having all these other weird things occurring. And for a while, I couldn't figure out. I've been trying to figure it out over the years. Now, 
I think I got there in the end. But what happened was I used to go to some conferences run by Graham Birdsell and Russell Callahan. Mm. We used to run the old UFO magazine. Yeah. And they used to have conferences in Leeds. And towards the end, they were getting really big and really popular. Mm-hmm. And I was introduced to quite a few uh, people there, like Stanton Freeman and Dr. Roger Lear, Stephen Greer. Met, met all of them there and spoke to them. But more importantly, I was introduced to Bud Hopkins and I managed to speak to Bud. I'd only got about 30 seconds with him before he was rudely interrupted. But I'd got my model. I showed him the model. I told him what had happened and I told him about the out-of-body experience and he goes no no he says that wasn't an out-of-body experience he says that was uh, images placed in your mind by the aliens on board the craft mm-hmm. and at that point this woman burst in the way and she'd got a crystal she found in the woods and she wanted to talk to bud about it and that was my end of my conversation with buddy didn't get to elaborate on what he just told me mm-hmm. so i went away and i thought <clears throat> that's a bit odd isn't it you know <laughs> i've never heard of that before um and I found it difficult to believe. So I was clinging to the outer body idea. But again, I wrote it down on the notes of all the strange things that were going on and put it onto the back burner. Now, what happened then a few years later, when John made the first model for me, the little A5 size model, I decided to go and do a presentation in Birmingham. And the group there, Dave Holdren, he, I told them about the outer body experience. And afterwards, he said to me, I've got a, a case where a couple of guys saw a UFO land in a field and they were on a, standing at a gate watching it and it was quite a distance away and the aliens got out of the craft and then one of them said that an alien projected his face across the field right in front of his own face telling him he shouldn't be there and he should go like I thought well, that's, that is some sort of telepathy but it's not quite the same as I've had but it's along the, along the same lines and then as a coincidence as coincidences go within two weeks of that I get an email out of the blue from America. I've put the email in the book and this guy basically, he starts off by saying, just like you, I had three images placed in my mind during the course of a close encounter with a triangle. Then he goes on to explain that he'd he'd had this close encounter and as he was looking at the triangle, trying to remember the details, the same as I did on that night, he said, all of a sudden, he was right next to it. And the same, he got three views, not two or four, but three close-up views. Mm-hmm. The first one was some pipe work on the outside. The second one was like a ball of light or plasma. And the third view, he believes, was inside the craft. So I read that email. And uh, prior to that, I've been reading or listening to a lot of Dr. J- David Jacobs' work with the yeah. abductees. Um and over the years, you keep hearing about telepathy all the time. And what David Jacobs was saying, his abductees were saying that sometimes it's images are placed in your mind. They show you things. Yeah. And you think, well, that makes sense, doesn't it? Because a picture paints a thousand words. Mm. And I'm a draftsman. I've been a draftsman all my life. So it would make sense, if that's the case, that those three images I got were actually tele- telepathic images. And it was like a eureka moment. I thought, Wow, Bud Hopkins was right all along. I spent these 20 years thinking it was out-of-body experience, but in fact, it looks like it was telepathy, either from aliens on board the craft or the craft itself, because the craft looked like it was alive. Mm -hmm. We haven't got any definitive answers to all of this. We can only guess as to what took place. But putting it all together, that would make sense now, because I did wonder if it was an out-of-body experience, why did I not see the craft roll? Right, so from the nose to the side view, you think if it was out of body, you would actually see it turning in real time like that. Yeah. But it wasn't. It was like one snapshot and then another snapshot, nothing in between. So there were three three snapshots of the craft close-up that came into my mind. And I have to say, without those close-up images, I would not have been able to have built the model that I produced today. So over the years, <clears throat> it started to calm down. In <clears throat> the first 18 months, two years, a lot, quite a lot of uh, experiences. But now it's very, very rare I, I see anything or hear anything anymore. It seems to have drifted away. But that would explain as well why the other occupants of the car were not having any other paranormal experiences, because mm. they didn't get the close viewing. They didn't get any images placed in their mind 
possibly, allegedly, from yeah. the aliens on board the craft. So with them doing that to me, I think it opened up my mind to these other paranormal events. And like I say, I kept it on the on the quiet for 20-odd years and then started talking about it because I'm getting older now. I'm 65 this year. I've got nothing to hide. Now, when I started writing the book, um, when people were writing in, I was asking them, have you had any paranormal experiences or seen any other UFOs? And there were more people saying yes, and they were saying they've seen ghosts or they've seen mm -hmm. this and that. And so in the end, I, I've got a whole chapter in the book, which is UFOs and the paranormal. And these are all dead same people, they're all normal people, but they're all having interactions with paranormal and UFOs. So I'm convinced they are connected, interlinked, and I believe it's all dimensional. Definitely, yeah. An amazing account, I mean, for your, your sighting. Um, one of the, the questions I was going to want to ask you, and I know you're relying even talking to Bud Hopkins, uh, Bud Hopkins here, but did you ever think about getting regressed? Well, I'll ask two questions on this one. Do you think that was the whole event, maybe even potentially the mm. end of the event? And uh, did you think about getting regressed? It's very difficult to say, isn't it? I, but I have... I have heard many times along the way people saying that they can wipe your mind clear of what's taken place. Yeah. And I believe that's true. So there is a possibility that something else did take place. Now I say that as well, because these creatures and these craft are highly intelligent. Now they keep out of the way of most people, but that night they were waiting for us. They, mm -hmm. they were there on the road. It wasn't a coincidence. We weren't in the right place at the right time. They were waiting for us. Yeah. And the reason I believe now why the craft was tilted at an angle, it took me a long time to figure this out, is because we're driving towards it. If it had been flat, even though the craft was invisible, you wouldn't have seen so many lights. But by tilting it up, we got to see more lights of the yeah. underneath of the craft as well as the rear of the craft. But as somebody pointed out, they may well have been looking at us at the same time that we were looking at them driving towards them. Mm. So... They made the craft as visible as possible. Absolutely incredible. There was no way you can mistake that it was there and waiting at the side of the road. Yep. Now, I asked my wife to draw what she'd seen, and this is the peculiar thing. She drew three red lights in a perfect equilateral triangle. Now, several months later, I asked her to draw again what she'd seen, and again, she drew three red lights in a perfect triangle. There is no way we could have seen that from our approach, the way we came up to that craft, there was no craft there at the time, just the yeah. lights. But all the lights were mingled in. I've even um, got here, I've got my friend to make me a transparent UFO, transparent triangle, so that you can see the effect of the lights as you're driving towards it. When you get this in the dark, I mean, it looks incredible. You can see why we were so taken away by it. Yeah. And I came up with this theory. <laughs> it is only a theory. What happened was, it was an ambush. This little craft's waiting for us at the side of the road. We give it all of our attention. But then what happens is the big triangle that we see afterwards is coming over the car. What my wife sees is the underneath of the mothership and draws three red lights in a perfect triangle. Because by the time we'd, we'd reversed into the gateway and jumped yeah. out of the car, then this the trajectory of the large craft going away, it would have made sense and it could have easily have passed over the car at some point. So there is a possibility that the small craft was the bait and the large craft came over us. Now, if that's the case, surely if they've gone to all that effort, something more must have took place. But we don't know, and there's no memory of it. Now, I did try um, regression. I tried a, a guy in Northampton out to the blue, knew nothing about me, nothing about UFOs. Nothing seemed to come out of that. I don't think I could be um, hypnotised, to be honest. And then I, I took myself over to uh, Laughlin in Nevada to a UFO conference there a few, quite a few years ago. And I met a lady called Barbara Lamb, who's done a lot of regression in her time. And um, she agreed to have a go at me. But again, the funny thing was, we went back to her hotel room. She was sitting on the bed and I was sitting on the chair, recalling the story of what took place that night. And <laughs> lo and behold, she started snoring. I mean, it had been a tiring weekend for her, bless, because she was getting on a bit. Mm -hmm. And I've got a bit of a monotone voice, but I, I, it's like I hypnotised her. <laughs> she fell asleep and started snoring. She woke up and apologised, mm -hmm. but um, we, we got no more out of the session. There was Nothing came from that. So 
Mm -hmm. um, being hypnotised doesn't seem to work on me at the moment for some reason. Because I think that some of these events, like, because um, people focus more on like the time it took and, and things like that, but when you you put it into the head where time's not really an aspect to it sometimes with some accounts that you hear. Yeah, I mean, uh, we, we haven't got a reference point. If we did lose any time, it wouldn't have been a lot. You know, we didn't lose an hour or half an hour. We might have lost five or ten minutes. We don't know. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you've been taken. There's a, a guy in the book, uh, Keith, who lives in the local town, Hinkley. Yeah. I've met him several times now. He came from the Neaton to Hinkley on his motorbike. <clears throat> and he, as he came to a place called Transco, a gas central hub, yeah. um, he said his motorbike stopped. And he stood there, straddled his bike, looked up, and this triangle came over the top of the building. He said it was, initially he said it was the size of a football pitch. And then he said, no, it was bigger than that. It was probably one and a third times the size of a football pitch. He said it was huge and silent. And it cruised really low over the building and over him and his motorbike. Uh, he could see a glass dome underneath, but he couldn't see any occupants inside the craft. And then it just slowly drifted away. So he, he went home and it was half past one and it should have been midnight. So he woke his parents up and they confirmed the time. It was 1.30. Mm -hmm. He'd lost one and a half hours of time in between leaving Nuneaton, which is just a, three or four miles away, to come back to Hinkley. And that's when he was straddled in his motorbike with the triangle over the top. Now, I don't think that necessarily means he was abducted. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's always the case, but there is some sort of time dilation there. He's lost one and a half hours and he says for all of his life he can't remember what happened those one and a half hours. He's got no memories of being taken or anything. He, as far as he was concerned, it just passed over him. Then he kicked his motorbike up. It started working again and he drove home and that was it. One and a half hours had gone. So that was quite a, an interesting case. In, the, um, in regards to the theft, um, yeah, like when you get your van broken into and they took the model, at that point, did you have you dis did you discussed that anywhere that you thought that these images were implanted in your brain at that point? Uh, I'm not sure to be honest. I may have discussed it with a friend in Sweden in the aircraft industry. So I, I, I got the impression my phone was tapped for a while, so somebody could have heard. Because that's what I mean, like in regards to like if. If people are kind of following these things and try to follow the downloads and information that's maybe getting passed, then that's maybe um like a like a point of a reference. Yeah, um, but then again, it could have just been I don't know somebody on his way home decided to break in and yeah, that's it. I mean, that's it. Some sort of modern secret military model or something. You don't know, do we? We can only guess. Yeah, that's it. I mean, that's it. There's, there's always a rational explanation for everything. That, that's the thing we do as well. We always rationalise it, but a sight and like your own, you, you, you can't rationalise that. That's the, that's the good point here. No, I mean, no. Like, yeah. So is it material? Until until it materialised, we didn't know what we were looking at. We were just staring at the lights, which were fantastic in themselves. Mm -hmm. Once it's materialised, you knew then straight away that you were looking at an alien spacecraft. That what people have been talking about in the past were true. All of a sudden, you know, it was we call a paradigm shift in your way of thinking. It just yeah. blew me away. Everything I knew had suddenly gone out of the window. And mm -hmm. there I was in front of something that was a bit like meeting God, I guess, even though I'm not a religious mm -hmm. person. That's how it felt. It felt like I was in the presence of something truly amazing. And I was in the presence of something truly amazing. Can you remember um, after it, did you have any medical effects in any sense? Um, not really that we could say. I had... Um, <clears throat> I had a burn mark on my arm, like a cigarette burn. Um, it took ages for that to clear up, but that could have just been some sort of a, an infection. I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, and my daughter, about a week or two weeks later, the top of her ears, they were bubbled up, a bit like, like pizza, like cheese on a pizza. We never did find out what caused that either, but they calmed down in the end. Um, but really, no, there was... No major um, medical conditions after the the effect, after the uh, encounter. So moving on to, so when, it's an amazing account, it really is. And um, 
when you've relayed your story and people are starting to come to you with stories, what's the what's the the most kind of prominent story stuck in your head? Is somebody else's triangular story? If that makes sense. Uh, there's a couple that stick out. Two or three. Um, shall I read you one from the book? Yeah, yeah. That'd be the easiest, the easiest way. Uh, I find this one <clears throat> quite amazing. Uh, a guy that we call Charles B. He's used a, a pseudonym. Um, he didn't really want his his own name put in there for security reasons, shall we say? Mm-hmm. So anyway, this is this is his story. Uh, it's from December two thousand and eleven. Um, they'd been out looking at lights. He was with his daughter, and they wasn't sure whether it was Venus, Venus or not. But they'd seen stuff in the past, so they were out basically chasing the light. Um, so this is it. So he says, "We both reasoned it was maybe a helicopter, but there were no strobes and no noise. Somewhere between Cleesby and Manfield, we lost sight of it as it got too low. We looked for the object, but decided to give up and turn back home." As we drove back along the A67, I said, let's look down by the river at Low Connies Cliff. With hindsight, I think they told me it was there. After driving down the track to the river, it was probably about 300 feet above ground level. It was huge, at least 1,000 feet across. The lights at the apices were dim yellow-orange, and there was a dimmer orange light in the body towards the back. I got out of the car and stood there staring at the triangle. There was total silence. I could no longer even hear the traffic from the nearby A1M motorway. The body was black and it blocked out the stars, but I could see stars around it and also a nearby farmhouse on a hill south of the river. It also seemed to block out the breeze. I don't know whether I got closer to it or it to me, but I seemed right underneath it. I could see black channels etched into the side of it, which would have made me think it was some sort of docking mechanism. It seemed to be made of a slate or graphite material, very dark grey and a smooth matte finish. I could feel the presence in my whole body and the dental implant was vibrating in my mouth. I could see the channels covered in the underside of the craft. They're probably six feet across and of a similar depth. I raised my hand and touched part of the craft's body between the channels. I was terrified and even thought it could harm me, but did it anyway. I brushed my fingers over it and then put my entire palm on it. It felt like a hard kitchen worktop with a matte finish, but it was not cold. The next thing I remember is my daughter shouting to me to get back in the car. She wanted to get out. So that was his account of a triangle of a thousand feet across, which was 300 feet above ground level. But when he was underneath it, it came down that close that he could touch it. I mean, that is just a phenomenal piece of engineering and and a fantastic bit of flying by whoever's flying that yeah, definitely down yeah. that close without hurting somebody absolutely incredible um another one i want to quickly touch on yeah this one won't take too long i found this one pretty amazing as well this is uh lindsay turner from 1983 in nottingham she said my my friend was three years older than me and we were unemployed at the time we decided to go and visit dad's property a 10 to 15 minute walk away and we arrived at 8 till 9 p.m The house had a football pitch just beyond the back garden with wild space surrounding it. The weather had been dry all day. When we came to leave late that night, we glanced over to the football pitch via an entrance. We both spotted the mist and the pyramid. So we decided to go and investigate. The triangular shaped pyramid object was the size of a council house and not quite off the ground, but hovering just above the ground by about a foot or two. The pyramid looked to be made of glass and was transparent. I could see swirls of coloured gas inside, yellow, blue, green, in fact, like a rainbow. As they approached the pyramid, it backed away from them. But when they backed away, the pyramid returned to its original position. The craft then became solid. In fact, Lindsay described it as metallic with Egyptian hieroglyphs on all the sides. One of these hieroglyphs was a man with a bird, bird's head carrying a long spear. Lindsay and her friend became nervous and decided to go home where they believe they lost between half to three quarters of an hour in time. Lindsay's friend plucked up courage and went back to the football pitch, but the triangular-shaped pyramid and the mist had now gone. So that's sort of tying in ancient Egypt and modern-day ufology. I just found that incredible. She phoned me to tell me about it, and so excited after all these years. And we've had a few conversations, and I I wrote that transcript out for her. And uh, I I just thought that was incredible. Yeah, 
that was kind of described as well. Like, kind of was it at Rendlesham where they were talking about like some type of hieroglyphs on the side of it. That's right. Yes. Uh, was it Colonel Holt who put his hand on it and yeah, got some yeah. binary information from the from the craft. But yeah, I mean, the fact that it was um, tied in with ancient Egypt, I just thought that was in- incredible. Yeah, totally. I mean, uh, there's I'm a, few more, a few more accounts in there which are really quite astounding. You know, there's another guy that lives in New Zealand now. He uh, got close to a triangle, that close. He said he's put his hand into the liquid on the front of the nose of the craft. He said he actually put his hand into it. It's like putting into a tin of paint. As soon as he did that, he said there was a fizz and a bang and the triangle went, just disappeared. And then there were three lights in the sky going away. I mean, all these, some of these sound absolutely incredible, but I have 100% confident that all of the uh, encounters in the book are genuine. I don't believe any of them have been made. I don't think people are doing this just no, to get Because you, all you're going to get is ridicule, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And in regards to the, so the information that you've, researched in regards to I take it you probably looked at a lot of triangle um, encounters across the world and in the UK and then you have people coming to you with their accounts have you seen any correlation in regards to um, places in the UK where you're maybe prevalent to see more than others in regards to triangle or craft in other words have you mapped them out I did map them out in the early days um, but I guess the thing was I was getting a lot of accounts from people locally I put some um uh, saw articles in the local Hinkley Times and got people to write in with their own experiences if they'd seen anything. Mm-hmm. I didn't say I wanted specifically triangle sightings, although my um, account in the newspaper was about triangles, but about 10 or 12 people got in touch and they were, they were all triangle sightings, all of them, and they're all local. So, I mean, you could almost say that Hinkley is a hot spot for triangles, but I'm sure if you put a Colin Saunders into every town in this country and got him to do the research they'd all be saying the same. Every town would be having sightings of triangles. I'm, I'm certain of it. It's not just local to this area. Yeah. But there's another account in there where um, Mal, Mal Orton, the amazing thing about that, that astounding me, was it was uh, two weeks prior to the to our sighting back in 1999. He, he saw his two weeks before us. Mm-hmm. And it was, uh, as the crow flies, about four miles away, very close to the A5, the Watling Street and the Foss Way. Now, his craft, he said, was the size of a football pitch. And it was just hung in the sky. Like he said, it didn't move a millimetre. It was a, just above hedge height, down, yeah. not on the ground, but just above the hedge. And it was three o'clock in the morning. He was driving to, to work. And he seen it, and he stopped, and he got out of his car. And he said, I walked up to it. He said, it didn't move a thousandth of an inch. It just hung in the air. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said it was the size of a football pitch. Uh, and he got the girders on it again. But he was saying the lights underneath were different to my lights so we reverse so we've got a white in the middle and red on, on the corners he had yeah. white in the corners and red in the middle which you often see the reverse of, of the lights uh he got scared then got back in his car and drove off now that craft was like like i say it's about four miles from where we saw our craft mm-hmm. and only two weeks before i mean that's a hell of a coincidence that is yeah definitely is yeah yeah there, there has been um in hinkley that that what I touched on earlier on the um Transco, the gas centre. Yeah. There's a big antenna ray out the back with these dishes on it. Massive. Yeah. Uh, there's been triangles seen over the top of that on three separate occasions. So they are interested in that. Whether they're interested in the communications or, or whatever reason they'd be there, I don't know. But I'm sure that if people in every town were vigilant, we would find this everywhere. So I haven't yeah, really got I, any uh, hot spots, as it were. I think everywhere could be a hot spot. I totally agree with you. You know, I mean, it's there is there is place there is some places where you get a lot more sightings, but at the same time, it's it's um, people coming out and coming forward and, and bringing their accounts out there, and 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 people actually looking for it these days. And I mean, as well, I mean, more people are interested in looking at their phone than they're looking up. That's right. Yeah, definitely, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, it, it's it. becoming more commonplace now, isn't it? I mean. You, with the Americans starting to release information and saying about UAPs being real, they don't know where they're from. There is more interest in the subject now. Yeah, no, totally. Are you, do you follow the 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 latest hearings and stuff like that in America? Not really, not not to a great degree. Mm-hmm. I have a quick look on the internet, like everybody else does, on Facebook and that. Yeah. Uh, at the moment, I'm sort of quite involved, immersed in this triangle business. <laughs> There's a lot of people want to. 
going back to the triangles in regards to that, um, when you're looking at some of the data, you've maybe seen uh, the triangular craft, um, because obviously, as you know, craft back in the day, um, which we're seeing, uh, let's see, if, if you're taking it from like the late 40s, early 50s, it was always like maybe circular craft or it was maybe boomerang-shaped craft and, and things like that, then flying saucers. And then when you maybe get into the 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 eighties, nineties, then you start to see like triangular craft and, and that there. Did you have you found accounts a lot older with triangular craft as well as um yeah the, the oldest one I've got in the book actually is nineteen fifty six. Oh right, okay. But um I I have come across an older one than that recently and that was in Nuremberg. I don't know if you heard about the, the battle they had in the sky there in Nuremberg. That was in fifteen sixty one. Yeah that I do four hundred and sixty two yeah. years ago. Yeah, and I was looking the other day, and they were saying that, um, that there's drawings and wood carvings of uh, saucers, and there's um, cigar-shaped UFOs and yeah. spheres. And spheres and stuff. Yeah, and at the end of the battle, a black triangle comes in, and there's a picture of this triangular-shaped craft. And like I say, that's back in 1561. Yeah, it's, so I, I, think these, I think these craft have been around for a long, long time. But certainly, yeah. as you say, I believe in like the 80s and the 90s, they become more prolific. Whether they were replacing other types of craft, or there was just more of them coming through, than than there has been in the past. But yeah, definitely, there's been more triangle sightings. I mean, if I was going to make all of this up, I would have said it was a flying saucer, because I knew nothing about UFOs. And when they when it materialised in front of us and it was triangular, I just couldn't believe it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. If it was going to be a UFO, I would have expected it to be, you know, a saucer shaped craft. But no, it was it was triangle, and that. But that's the, the thing that, that the triangles maybe it's, it's their turn to be the custodians. <laughs> yeah, yeah, quite possibly. Yeah, yeah. There's an interesting fact though in the book. There's 130 different sightings. Uh, most of them are sort of close encounters, but you won't find two exactly the same. Mm. You know, there's always slight differences in in everyone's because people will say to you, um, "Do you think it's a secret military project? Do you think it's a TR3B?" Absolutely not. There's no way that these craft are secret military projects. Yeah. I mean, if you're building a craft like um, the F-117 or the B-2, the stealth fighter and stealth bomber, they're all the same. And I've worked in the aircraft industry. You don't keep making major changes to every single aircraft you make. They're all exactly the same. If you're going to make changes, you do it at a certain production point. Like, So you do like zero to 75 and then you do 75 to 150 and you make changes along the way. But only slight changes, you know. Whereas, and one of those reasons as well, obviously, is because you need to maintain these aircraft. Now, they were talking recently about sending um, their 14s into U- Ukraine, but it's not just a case of giving them the aircraft to fly. They've got to be trained to fly it. Yeah. And then you need all the spare parts to back and it up. Yes. And then you need a maintenance yeah. team as well. Now, if these craft are man-made, you're going to need a hell of a lot of spare parts and a hell of a lot of maintenance men to keep these things flying. I'm talking about 130 different craft. And I've only scratched the surface. There's going to be thousand, a thousand sightings in the UK at least, mm-hmm. of all different shapes, size, colours of, of triangles. And worldwide, it's phenomenal. And and to believe that these are secret military craft is is just ridiculous. If they were secret military craft, you'd see them out in the battle zones now. And they're not out there. They're not. Yeah. And if they were military, why would you fly them over densely populated areas? I know ours was in the middle of nowhere. But there's a lot of accounts where they're in the city centre and they're going over houses, like the one with the missing time. That's right in the centre of Hinkley, and that is a, a football pitch-sized craft. Yeah. Really low altitude. You just wouldn't do that with a secret military craft. It's just yeah. a crazy idea. There's probably advanced craft out there somewhere, I mean, to a certain degree, but uh, as you say, I can't imagine them flying over um, populated areas um, and then obviously interacting with people. And, and that's the whole interaction thing we as well and the mind aspect there you know what I mean so which which happens in quite a lot of cases where there's some connection there. that's right yeah yeah one of the other interesting things like with all the reports that I've got I mean I learned myself more information you know by writing the book and going through it yeah uh, picking up on different things I decided to go through and look at like um the color well some of the similarities between the sightings so one of the first things that came up was the, the colour of the triangles. That ours was grey, and you hear a black, black triangles, grey triangles. But when you go through the book, you find that there's also reports of orange, silver, gold, white, blue, dark brown, and green 
triangles. Mm. I, I didn't realise that. That's <laughs> something yeah. new to me. And the lights generally red and white, but we've also got green, blue, yellow, orange, bronze, purple, and pink. And often a white beam coming from the central part of the, the craft. Yeah, that's and it. You always, you always see the reports, the main reports, they're always black. That's right, yeah, yeah. But they're not always black. Yeah. Um, noise as well. We didn't hear any noise, but we didn't get out of the car. If there was any noise, we didn't hear it over the sound of the, uh, the Fiesta's mm -hmm. engine. But people who have been outdoors when they've had a close encounter, they describe it as a, a dull hum, a low humming noise, like a transformer. Yeah. Or a buzzing or a droning noise. Um, sometimes as well described as like a, a vacuum cleaner sucking. And sizes vary from small ones, you know, just a few feet across to football pitch size. And the descriptions like um, fridge pipes, that, that comes up quite a lot. Looks like the back of a refrigerator. Uh, girders, that comes in as well. Mm -hmm. feeling the pressure when they get close. Uh, people talk about cloaking as well. They see them cloaking. I've, a guy, a witness, who saw one half cloaked. He said that was really peculiar as it flew over his head. <laughs> he could see half the triangle and half of it was invisible. Absolutely mad. That's, that's um, amazing. Pe people de describe them as shimmering like tin foil, which is a good mm -hmm. description, and rippling like black tar. Black tar. Uh, and I'm not the only one who says they look alive, but artificial. And then the movement... The way ours moved, like I say, it was like a submarine underwater. So in the early days when I started doing my research and people were talking about the way the craft moved, if they said that it floated, then you knew they were telling the truth because you have to see it to believe it, to describe yeah. it in that fashion. One guy in America said it was a bit like when you get a sheet on a bed with your partner and you've got the four corners and you put it over the bed and the air is trapped in the sheet and it slowly sinks down like that. That's like the movement of the craft, like a sheet slowly sinking down as the air mm. disappears from underneath it. So, um, yeah, it's often described as fluid, gliding, floating, underwater, and uh, sometimes flying blunt end first as well, which is interesting. So there's some of the observations that I've picked up from uh, all of the sightings in the book. Mm. So there's, there's quite a lot in there. It's amazing, though, about the amount you actually get in the UK as well, as you, as you know. I mean, um, with the, the amount of different triangular craft, especially in that time era, I can remember there was there was like reports in in Scotland and right across the UK, but there was like multiple reports in Scotland the, the flying triangles and, and things like that as well back in the day. But um, we, so where can people um, find information on your book? Okay, well the book's uh, for sale on Amazon. You can buy it as a paperback, hardback. There's a Kindle version. And there's also an audio version. I'm just going to quickly share a picture of it. I know. Let's see if people can see it. So it's available on Amazon UK and it's called, that's the one, Triangular UFOs of the United Kingdom by Colin Saunders. I do well, Colin. So if, listen, sorry, if go. anybody does buy it, if you could, I'm sure you'll enjoy it. If you could leave a, a review on Amazon for me, it'd be greatly appreciated. I'm not, I'm not here trying to sell the book, but the book I do think is fantastic. I wish I had had a book like that 24 years ago when I had my encounter. Yeah, I've been through your stories. I've been through some accounts. I'm just going to work my way through it. It's trying to, um, it's trying to get through actual reading books these days. I listen to quite a lot of books. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but listen, Colin, uh, thanks very much for taking the time to come on. That's been a pleasure. And, uh, wish you the best. Maybe hopefully speak to you again at some point. Yes, yes, it's been good. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, if you want to have another chat in the future, we'll, we'll get together again. Uh, thanks for inviting me on to your show. It's been great. Yeah, well, thanks very much for coming on and uh, we'll have a, a great evening. I thought that.